Friends, will you pray with me? Oh, holy God, we enter into your presence filled with expectations. May the meditations of our hearts and minds and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So I had this uh, professor that, uh, his name was Dick Murray. He lived a long time, lived well into his 90s, and had a, a deep and faithful ministry. And I bet all of his life he could probably count on one hand the times that he missed church. Church was central to his life. And yet he had a grandson whose parents uh, chose not to raise the grandson in the church. Now, they didn't have any problem with, with uh, faith and with Dick sharing the faith stories with the grandson, but they just didn't like church for whatever reason. And so uh, when Dick would babysit the grandson, he would often tell him the stories of our faith through the Bible. He would share with him the songs of our faith, uh, the hymns that we often sing. He would uh, tell him about being Christian. And then one day, uh, his parents allowed him to stay the weekend, and he was able to take him to church. Now, by this time, he was old enough to sit in the pews with Dick. And so uh, they, he was sitting in the church, and they were looking around, and he was telling them about the banners and about the colors and about the flowers and about the altar and the candles and all those things and reminding him of the stories that go along with all of those. And then all of a sudden, spontaneously, the organ and piano begin to play and everybody rises on cue and begins to sing the Gloria Patre. And the grandson looks up at Dick and says, Papa, they're singing our song. <laughs> That's what faith is like. We experience it a long time before we can articulate it. We experience it as children in wonderful ways without really understanding exactly what it does for us. I am reminded of making cookies with my own granddaughter just recently. We were cutting out Christmas cookies and, and rolling out the dough when she began to sing the songs of her faith. And it went something like this. Saturday night holy night all is saturday night holy night so all of a sudden i said parker what happened on saturday night and she said jesus was born so you see she understood the essence of the song long before she understood the totality of the event of christ coming to live among us as an infant and growing into a man. Faith is often experienced a long time before we ever believe. The wise men, the wise men, they came expecting to experience something cosmic and new, an inbreaking of God and something magnificent happening. And so they followed the star, not knowing exactly what they might find other than a king. And I doubt that they ever really understood exactly what the Christ was, but they knew without a doubt that it was significant, that God was doing something in that baby. Early Christians came to believe off of the witnesses of others. 
The first Christians believed because they saw, because they lived and they experienced the Christ, but it was the others who came to believe through their stories. They came to believe without the benefit of touching the child, without the benefit of seeing the child's magnificent intellect in the temple, without seeing the teacher who sat on the hillside in Galilee and welcomed the people with open arms and good news. They came to believe without seeing the man who entered into Jerusalem only to be put to death, to turn things upside down politically, socially, and spiritually, so that in his death and resurrection, the doors of the church would literally be blown wide open to receive all people. The earliest Christians and we believe because we hear, not because we see. Paul reminds his readers in Ephesus that they are blessed because that's the very nature of God. He is excited when he tells this, this story about how God's people are blessed because God is blessed, right? He, he's exhilarated. He reminds them of the many ways that they're blessed and, and, how, and how we can dig in to being a part of God's holy family. It's like he's trying to capture butterflies because in the Greek, this is one long sentence. In our English, it's about 13 verses, okay? with multiple sentences. But in the Greek, it's like one big, long, run-on sentence. It's almost as if he thinks one thing, and then the emotion comes in, and then the thoughts and the ideas, and he captures them all for us to experience. We're tempted in, in this kind of blessing, in this kind of passage, to break it apart into smaller parts and analyze it. But it was intended to only be experienced, to wash over us and let it fall down upon us like rain. So as I read this, this liturgy, or this, uh, this uh, passage this morning, I want you to listen for the exhilaration and the joy that the author has in these holy words. It's found in, in Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. Bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing that comes from heaven. God chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless in God's presence before the creation of the world. God destined us to be his adopted children through Jesus Christ because of his love. It was according to his goodwill and plan and to honor his glorious grace that he has given to us freely through the Son whom he loves. We have been redeemed through his Son's blood, and we have been forgiven for our failures based on his overflowing grace, which he pours on us with wisdom and understanding. God revealed his hidden design to us, which is according to his good will and plan that he intended to accomplish through his son. This is what God planned for the climax of all times, to bring all things together in Christ, the things in heaven along with the things on earth. We have also received an inheritance in Christ. 
We were destined by the plan of God who accomplishes everything according to his design. We are called to be an honor to God's glory because we were first to hope in Christ. You too heard the word of truth in Christ, which is the good news for your salvation. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit because you believed in Christ. The Holy Spirit is a down payment on our inheritance, which is applied towards our redemption as God's own people, resulting in honor of God's glory. Thanks be to the reading of this holy word. Amen. This text is kind of like an aha moment, a moment when the experience of God begins to take root and comes together with an understanding of who God is. And in this moment, the author gets excited about all that he has experienced and all that he has come to know about God, and he puts them together. The entire text is drenched in God. It starts with God. It starts with praise of God, and it ends with praise in God. We bless God because God first blesses us. The blessing that God places within us, the author begins to examine. And when we have fully experienced God, we begin to believe that we are chosen. That we are chosen long before God put the design of the foundations of the universe together. We begin to realize that we were destined for adoption from the time of creation. We were always, always a part of God's plan. We've never not been a part of God's plan. We realize through our experience that we have been redeemed and forgiven, often be, uh, we didn't earn it, but we often don't deserve it either. We realize that we've been lavished with grace, grace upon grace, and we can't even describe it. We can only name it amazing grace. And then we realize that as a part of God's family, we have been entrusted with the mystery. We have been let in on God's plan to bring all things together to bring heaven and earth together, and you and I are given the job of standing between heaven and earth and helping that come together. And we're given an inheritance, and we're promised that God will never leave us orphaned. And the first installment of that inheritance is the Holy Spirit at work among us. So we realize these things. And then we ask, why does God give us this? Well, God gives us this so that we can pass that glory on to God, that so through our lives, others might glorify God, and that we might live and celebrate the good gifts that God lives us. These gifts that are given to us without price, just because we believe. Recently, I've been thinking about uh, the, the experts who say we're in a post-Christian era, an era when things change from uh, being founded on our Christian principles, at least in this nation, and mostly across uh, the first world countries. 
There's, this came about around the 1990s when experts began to realize that we were, there was a shift going on in society, not only in the U.S., but in other parts of the world. And so we've talked about it, and for a long time I didn't really understand it until probably the last six months. It seems like the last six months I have felt it. I have experienced it. I've experienced it for the first time in my life that we live in a world that is not necessarily friendly to Christianity. A world where everything we do, everything we say is, is met with skepticism, is not trusted. And so I found myself asking then, what does my Christian life look like in this new season of the church? What does the church look like in this new season? Now, I want you to know, I don't believe the church is going away. I think it might look different. I think we're already experiencing the fact that it is a little different than it used to be. But we will still have what we need in church. Because you see, church is not a building. It's people. It's the family. It's our inheritance. It is what we get to do together, whether we gather in a worship space, or whether we gather online, or whether we gather anywhere. It is a place where we get to experience God. I'm thinking of the early church and how it looked distinctively different. They didn't build church buildings. Often they had to hide their Christianity. They had to meet in small houses that were much smaller than ours today. They met in open fields. They met in roads along the way, and as they journeyed, they talked and they shared. And over time, the church has changed. It changed to cathedrals and then to churches with large pulpits at the center, replacing the altar at the center. It has changed over time, but it has never ceased to be the church because we all need to experience God, and we do that by being together. Now, I, was, I am a, a part of an email string that goes around once a month to the United Methodist Men, even though I, I guess because I'm the pastor, I get to be on this email string. And so Dwight uh, Reeves sent out an email recently, and I love to read his, um, his words of wisdom. And so I asked if I could share this story. This is a story about church. And, and so he and Tom and Junior had been talking about this, and they decided to Put it in the email. It says, a churchgoer wrote a letter to the editor of a newspaper complaining that it made no sense to go to church every Sunday. He wrote, I've gone for 30 years now, and in that time I've heard something like 3,000 sermons, but for the life of me I can't remember a single one of them. So I think I'm wasting my time. The preachers and the priests are wasting their time in giving all these sermons. When I first read that, I didn't know whether to be offended or relieved. <laughs> and then it goes on, it says, this, startled the real this started a real controversy in the letters to the editor column, and the editors were delighted because for the next couple of weeks, it, it began to, to bring in more and more conversation until finally someone wrote this clincher. He said, I've been married for 30 years now, and in that time, my wife has 
cooked some 32,000 meals, but for the life of me, I cannot recall the entire menu of a single one of those meals. But I do know this. They all nourished me, and they gave me strength that I needed to do my work. And if my wife had not given me these meals, I would be physically dead today. Likewise, if I had not gone to church for nourishment, I would be spiritually dead today. Isn't that true, church? That's really what church is. So in 2021, church may look different. It may be different. It might be online. It might be on somebody's patio sharing life together. We might find church in a sanctuary or even in a coffee shop. And some of us will find church underneath the interstate on an outdoor service every single Sunday that is brought to the homeless. But this much I know. We are created to inherit the church, the body of Christ, whom each of us are a part of. We are a part of the plan to bring heaven and earth together through the one that we celebrate when we gather. Thanks be to God. Amen.